0: Chapter Twenty Four of The Glory of the Conquered. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Beau Wood. The Glory of the Conquered by Susan Glaspel. Chapter Twenty Four Love Challenges Fate. The Doctor hung up the receiver. Slowly and with meditation. And when he turned from the telephone, his thoughts did not leave the channel to which it had directed them. What was it Mrs. Hubers wanted? Why was she coming to the office at four that afternoon? Something in her voice made him wonder. He had offered to go out, but she preferred coming to the office. Evidently, then, she wished to see him alone, and she had specified that she come when he could give her the most time. Then there was something to talk over. He had asked for Carl, and she answered cheerfully that he was well. And you, he pursued, and she had laughed with that. An underlying significance in that laugh perplexed him as he recalled it and had answered buoyantly, "'I, oh Splendid!' It did not leave his mind all day. He thought about it a great deal as he drove his car from place to place. It even came to him in the operating room, and it was not usual for anything to intrude there. He reached the office a few minutes ahead of the hour, but she was waiting for him. She rose as she saw him at the door, and took an eager step forward her cheeks were flushed her eyes very bright and her smile as she held out her hand had the same quality as her voice of the morning she was so far removed from usual things that she resorted to no conventional pleasantries after they had entered the doctor's inner office and she waited for him to attend to a few little things before giving her his attention. He knew by the way her eyes followed him about, that she was eager to begin. And while there was a little timidity about her, it seemed just a timidity of manner, of things exterior, while back of that he felt the force of her poise. He had never seen her so beautiful. She was wearing a brown velvet suit, a golden brown like some of the glints in her hair, and some of the lights in her eyes. Her eyes, too, held that something which puzzled him. It was a windy day, and her hair was a little disarranged, which made her look very young, and her veil was thrown back from her face just right to make a frame for it. Why could not all women manage those big veils the way some women did, he wondered. He sat down in the chair before his desk and swung it around facing her. Then he waited for her to speak. That little timidity was upon her for the second, but she broke through it, seeming to shake it off with a little shake of her head. Dr. Parkman, she said, her voice was low and well controlled. I have come to you because I want you to help me. He liked that. Very few people came out with the truth at the start that way. I wonder if you know, she went on looking at him with a very sweet seriousness, that Carl is very unhappy. His face showed that that was unexpected. Why, yes, he assented. I know that his heart has not been as philosophical as some of his words, but gently. What can you expect? She did not answer that, but pondered something a minute. Dr. Parkman, she began abruptly, just why do you think it is Carl cannot go on with his work? I do not mean his lectures, but his own work in the laboratory, the research. Again, he showed that she was surprising him. Why, surely you understand that. It is self-evident is it not he cannot do his laboratory work because he has lost his eyes eyes yes but the eye is only an instrument he has not lost his brain the flush in her cheeks deepened her eyes met his in challenge her voice on that had been very firm he was quick to read beyond the words you are asking, intending to ask, why he could not go on, working through some assistant. I want to know just what is your idea of why he cannot. All the things of mind and temperament, things which make him Carl, are there as before. Are we not letting a very little thing hold us back? there was much repression now as though she must hold herself in check and wait i've thought about it too he exclaimed heaven knows i've tried to see it that way but my conclusion has always been like carl's the handicap would be too great why she asked calmly why why because he replied almost impatiently and then laughed a little at his woman's reason. "'I'll tell you why,' her eyes deepening. "'I'll tell you the secret of your conclusion. "'You concluded that he could not go on with his work "'just because no assistant could be in close enough touch with Carl "'to make clear the things he saw.' "'He thought a minute, then—' "'That's about it,' he answered briefly. "'You concluded that two men's brains could not work together "'in close enough harmony for one man's eyes "'to fit the other man's brain.' "'You put it very clearly,' he assented. "'She paused as though to be very sure of herself here. "'Then, doctor, looking a little farther into it, "'one sees something else. "'If there were someone close enough to Carl,' to bring to his brain, through some other medium than eyes, the things the eyes would naturally carry. If there were someone close enough to make things just as plain, as though Carl were seeing them himself, then her voice gathered in intensity. Despite the loss of his eyes, he could go right on with his work. Um, well, yes, if such an impossible thing were possible but it is possible oh if i can only make you see this now doctor don't you see it i am closer to him than anyone in the world i am the one to take up his work he pushed back his chair and sat staring at her speechlessly dr parkman she began and it seemed now that he had never known her at all before most of the biggest things ever proposed in this world have sounded very ridiculous to the people who first heard of them. The unprecedented has usually been called the impossible. Now I ask you to do just one thing. Don't hold my idea at arm's length as an impossibility. Look it straight in the face without prejudice. Who would do more for Carl than anyone else on earth? Who is closer to him than anyone else in the world? Who can make him see without seeing, yet know without knowing? Dr. Parkman, voice eager, eyes very tender, is there any question in your mind as to who can come closest to Carl? But, but, he gasped. I know she hastened. Much to talk over, so many things to overcome. But won't you be very fair to me and look at it first as a whole? The men in Carl's laboratory know more about science than I do, but they do not know as much about Carl. They have the science and I have the spirit. I can get the science, but they could never get the spirit. After all, isn't there some meaning in that old phrase, a labor of love, doctor? Her smile made it so much clearer than her words. Did you ever hear of knowledge and skill, working a miracle? Do you know anything save love, which can do the impossible? He did not speak at once. He did not find it easy to answer words like that. But my dear Mrs. Hubers, he finally began, you are simply assuming, yes, and the tenderness leaped suddenly to passion, and the passion intensified to sternness. I am simply assuming that it can be done, and through obstacle and argument, from now until the end of my life, I am going on assuming that very thing and furthermore dr parkman relaxing a little and smiling at him understandingly just as soon as the light has fully dawned upon you you are going to begin assuming that and you are the very man oh i know to keep on assuming it in the face of all the obstacles which the University of Chicago, yes, and all creation, may succeed in piling up. There is one thing on which you and I are going to stand very firmly together. That thing, with the deep quiet of finality, is that Carl shall go on with his work. Dr. Parkman had never been handled that way before. Perhaps. It was its newness which fascinated him. At any rate, he seemed unable to say the things he felt he should be saying. Dr. Parkman, the only weak people in this world are the people who sit down and say that things are impossible. The only big people are the people who stand up and declare in the face of whatsoever comes that nothing is impossible. For Carl, there is some excuse. The shock has been too great. His blindness has shut him in. But you and I are out in the light of day, doctor, and I say that you and I have been weaklings long enough. He had never been called a weakling before. He had never thought to be called a weakling. But the strangeness of that was less strange than something in her eyes, her voice, her spirit, which seemed drawing him on. Carl has lost his eyes. Has he lost his brain? Any of those things which make him Carl? All that has been taken away is the channel of communication. I am not presuming to be his brain. All I ask is to carry things to the brain. Why, doctor, I'm ashamed, mortified that we hadn't thought of it before. But how? He finally asked, weakly enough. I will go into Carl's laboratory and learn how to work. All that part of it I want you to arrange for me. After all, I have a good foundation. I think I told you about my father and how hard he tried to make a scientist of me. And it was queer about my laboratory work. It was always easy for me. I could see it, all right. Enough my father's child for that. But you see, my working enthusiasm and ambition were given to other things. Now I'll make things within me join forces. For I will love the work now. Because of what it can do for Carl. I need to be trained how to work how to observe, and above all else, learn to tell exactly what I see. I shall strive to become a perfectly constructed instrument, that's all, and I will be better than the usual laboratory assistant for not having any ideas of my own. I will not intrude my individuality upon Karl to blur his vision." I shall not try to deduce and mislead him with my wrong conclusions. I shall simply see. A man who knew more about it might not be able to separate what he saw from what he thought. And that would be standing between Carl and the facts. He was looking at her strangely. And your own work, what would be happening to it? "'if you were to do this.' "'I have given my own work up,' she said, "'and she said it so simply "'that it might have seemed a very simply matter. "'You can't do that,' he met her sharply. "'Yes, slowly, I can. "'I love it, but I love Carl more. "'If I have my work, he cannot have his.' and Carl has been deprived of his eyes. He is giving up the sunlight, the stars, the face he loves, many things. I thought it all out last night, and the very simple justice of it is that Carl is the one to have his work. She was dwelling upon it, a wonderful tenderness lighting her face. For the moment, she had forgotten him. Then suddenly she came sharply back to the practical, brought herself ruthlessly back to it, as if fearing it was her practicality he would question. Besides, Carl's work is the more important. Nobody is going to die for a watercolor or an oil painting. People are dying every day for the things Carl can give. But, doctor, far too feminine not to press the advantage. If I can do that, don't you think you can afford to break through your conservatism? And you will, doctor, won't you? But Dr. Parkman had wheeled his chair about, so that she could not see his face. His eyes had grown a little dim. You see, doctor, gently, what am I going to give to it? Only the things anyone else could give, but all my love for Carl, and added to that all those things within myself, which have heretofore been poured into my own work. I can paint, doctor. You and I know that, and I think you know something of how I love it. Something inside of me has always been given to it a great big something for which there is no name. Now, I am going to just force all that into a new channel. And don't you see how much there will be to give? And in my practical ways, too, I can make my own work count. I know how to use my hands, and there isn't a laboratory assistant in the whole University of Chicago knows as much about color as I do. She smiled like a pleased child. He looked at her then, a long look. He had forgotten the moisture in his eyes. He did not mind. And it was many years since anyone had seen upon Dr. Parkman's face the look which Ernestine saw there now. Isn't it strange, doctor? She went on after a pause how we think we understand, and then suddenly awake to find we have not been understanding at all. Carl and I had a long talk yesterday, and in that talk, he seemed able to let me right into it all. All summer long, I did my best, but I see now I had not been understanding. And understanding, as I do now, caring as I care. Do you think I can sit quietly by and see Carl make himself over to fit this miserable situation? Do you think I am going to help him adjust himself to giving up the great thing in him? No, he is not going to accept it. I tell you, Carl is to be Carl. He is to do Carl's work and find Carl's place. Why, I tell you, Dr. Parkman, I will not have it any other way. It was a passionate tyranny of the spirit, over which caution of mind seemed unable to prevail. His reason warned him, I cannot see how this and this and that are to be done. But the soul and her voice seemed drawing him to a light out beyond the darkness doctor her eyes glowing with a tender pride think of it think of carl doing his work in spite of his blindness won't it stand as one of the greatest things in the whole history of science he nodded the light of enthusiasm growing more steady in his own eye but i have not finished telling you after our talk yesterday it seemed to me I could not go on at all. I didn't know what to do. In the evening, I was up in my studio. She paused, striving to formulate it. No, I see I can't tell it. But suddenly, things came to me, and, Doctor, I understand it now better than Carl understands it himself. He felt the things which she did not say. Indeed, through it all, it was the unspoken drew him most irresistibly. I'll not try to tell you how it all worked itself out, but I saw things very clearly then, and all the facts and all the reason and all the logic in the world could not make me believe I did not see the truth. My idea of taking it up myself, of my being the one to bring Carl back to his work, seemed to come to me like some great divine light. I suppose, she concluded simply, that it was what you would call a moment of inspiration. She leaned her head back, as though very tired, but smiling a little. He did not speak; he had too much the understanding heart to intrude upon the things shining from her face. I could do good work, doctor. I've always felt it, and I have done just enough to justify me in knowing it. I don't believe anyone ever loved his work more than I love mine and Last night, when I saw things so clearly. I saw how the longing for it would come to me. Oh, I know. Don't think I do not know. But something will sustain me. Something will keep my courage high. And that something is the look there will be on Carl's face when I tell him what I have done. You see, we will not tell Carl at first. We will keep it a great secret. He will know that I am working hard, but will think it is my own work. If we told him now, he would say it was impossible. His blindness, the helplessness that goes with it, has taken away some of his confidence, and he would say it could not be done. But what will he say, she laughed almost gleefully, when he finds I have gone ahead? and made myself ready for him when you tell him i can do it and the laboratory men tell him so he will try it then just out of gratitude to me oh it will not go very well at first it is going to take practice days and weeks and months of it to learn how to work together but little by little "'he will gain confidence in himself and in me. "'He will begin getting back his grip, enthusiasm, "'all the things of the old-time Carl. "'And then, someday, "'when we have had a little success about something, "'he will burst forth, "'By Jove, Ernestine, I believe we can make it go.' "'And that,' she concluded softly, will be worth it all to me. Again, a silence which sank deeper than words, a silence which sealed their compact. She came from it with the vigorously practical. Now, Dr. Parkman, sitting up very straight with an assertive little gesture, you go out to that university and fire their souls. Wake them up. Make them see it. And when do you think I can begin? That turned them to actual issues. He spoke freely of difficulties and they discussed them together calmly. Her enthusiasm was not builded on dreams alone, it was not of that volatile stuff which must perish in detail and difficulty. She was ready to meet it all, to ponder. And plan. And where he had been carried by her enthusiasm, he was held by her resourcefulness. Are august dignitaries of reason and judgment likely to rise up and make it very unpleasant for you after I've gone? She asked him laughingly when she had risen to go. Very likely to, he laughed. Tell them it's not their affair tell them to do what they're told and not ask too many questions i'll try to put them in their proper place he assured her he watched her as she stood there buttoning her glove slight almost frail scarcely one's idea of a masterful woman it struck him then as strange that she had not so much asked for pledge of his allegiance what was it about her? She was holding out her hand. Something in her eyes lighted and glorified her whole face. Thank you, doctor, she said very low. For a long time, he sat motionless before his desk. He was thinking of many things. Nothing in which to believe, he murmured at last, looking about the room still warm with the spirit she had left, nothing in which to believe, when there is love such as this in the world. End of chapter 24. Recording by Beau Wood.